Okay, good evening, everybody. I wanted to thank the Zosman Mishpacha for sponsoring the Shir tonight. And they are sponsoring it as a Rafua Shalema for Mrs. Zosman's father, Chaim Ben Gittel. Mirzashem, he should have a complete Rafua Shalema Bekorov. And again, now that Isaac is back, only a week and change after his baby girl. Again, a mazel tov to the Romanos, and uh, looking forward to sharing in Simchas. You should have much nachas from your daughter, and uh, continued siyat d'shmei and hatzlach in every aspect of life. I wanted to share with you a prayer. I forget where I saw this, but it resonated. God save us from people who mean well, right? God, save us from people who have good intentions. Good intentions are praiseworthy, they're respected, we could appreciate the, uh, the warm and fuzzy feelings. I, I like that you want to do good for me or with me, but oftentimes the good intentions are just not sufficient. I'd like to explore the idea of good intentions and how they play a role in decisions we make and sometimes analyzing our motivation. We might have a real passion or enthusiasm for something, almost a righteous indignation that this is the, the right thing to fight for, and therefore we're very l'shem shemayim. We're genuine, we're sincere, but we might be very wrong. So part of the complexity of life and our decision-making process is not just having the hargasha, the good feelings, the noble intentions, but trying as much as possible to really discover, really probe, and, and get to the kernel of what is true. I want to make sure that I'm fighting for the right cause. At the end of the Parsha, we have this mysterious episode of the Makoshesh, Pasuk says, V'yu b'nei Yisrael b'midbar, v'yimtzu ish mekoshesh eitzim b'yom ha-shabos. Klal Yisrael were in the midbar, and uh, Jews found a man gathering eitzim, gathering wood on the day of Shabbos in violation of an iser deraisa. So they brought him to Moshe, and they wanted to explore, what, what do we do? What's the penalty? Rashi says that the reason the Torah tells us this uh, vignette of a person going and gathering wood on Shabbos, the Torah is revealing to us a, a negative aspect of Klal Yisrael. They just kept one Shabbos. And on the second Shabbos, their second opportunity to keep Shabbos, you have the guy who goes out into the field and he's Mekoshesh Eitzim. He violates a Torah prohibition. So, Begenusan Shel Yisrael, can you believe the Jewish people? They only kept one Shabbos. Now it's their second time to keep Shabbos and they can't do it. That's what Rashi says. Which is really an incredible insight and just painting that picture for ourselves when reading the end of Parsha Shlach, 
This is only the second opportunity as a nation that we had for Shmira Shabbos, and we blew it. How did that happen? Who was this person? Why was he out brazenly collecting wood on Shabbos? If you have some taiva, you can't hold yourself back. So, so do so in, in, in private. You're standing there in public allowing people to see you breaking Shabbos. Who was this Mekoshesh Eitzim and what exactly was his intention? So the Gemara in Shabbos fills in some of the background to the story and uh, actually relates in Machlokis as to who was the personality of the Mekoshesh. Toner Abadon Mekoshesh is a Slavchad. The one gathering wood was Slavchad the well-known father of very righteous women. That was the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra says to Rabbi Akiva, I have a kash on you. Right? What are you trying to do, Rabbi Akiva? You're claiming this person, who's defined as the Mekoshesh, not given an identity in the Torah, you're telling us that it was really Slavchad. Slavchad, we have a Mesora, we have a clear tradition. He was a tzaddik. He was a righteous man with, with righteous daughters. So Yehuda ben Becerra turns to Rabbi Akiva and says, Memonavshach, if you're right that really this, this person was Slavchad and the Torah kept it a secret from us, so who are you to reveal that secret? Obviously, Hashem had something in mind if he didn't want to name the perpetrator. And if you're wrong, that really it wasn't Slavchad, it was some other person, then you're being Motzi, Laz, and Etzadik. You're speaking Lush and Hora against the righteous person. But it's clear that the opinion of Rebbe Akiva was the Mekoshesh Eitzim was Slavchad. Why in the world would a righteous man be gathering wood on the second Shabbos in the history of Kalal Yisrael. So Tosos comes along and he climbs into the mind of Slavchad. According to Tosvos, he has a little bit of a different uh, time where he places this episode. He says, this actually took place right after the episode of the spies. So not the second Shabbos of the history of Kalal Yisrael, but after the spies come back and they hear about this terrible decree that this generation is not allowed to enter into Eretz Yisrael and they're going to spend the rest of their lives in the Midbar. On that very next Shabbos, Slavchad stands up publicly and brazenly violates Shabbos. Explains Tosvos what was the intention of Slavchad. He had pure, holy, noble intentions. Because he was afraid that the Jewish people would say or they would think, Because we now have this decree where Hashem told us we're not allowed to enter into Eretz Yisrael. Perhaps we are no longer obligated in the mitzvos. So because Slavchad was nervous about Klal Yisrael, or at least a segment of the Jewish people, having this warped perspective, 
Amad v'chilol Shabbos k'day sh'yahorek v'yurachirim. He took one for the team, so to speak. I want to make it clear in the most dramatic fashion that all of the mitzvos are still applicable, that the Kedusha of Shabbos is the same Kedusha of Shabbos, and even though we will not be going into Eretz Yisrael, don't think that any part of the Torah has changed. So he went almost on a kamikaze mission. He made it bedafka in public. He wanted to make sure that he had the warning, people were seeing him. He wanted to give his life for the purpose of saving Klal Yisrael. It was Mesiris Nefesh. He was sacrificing his very life to make sure that the Jewish people wouldn't make the mistake and assume the mitzvot were no longer relevant. Now, parenthetically, why would the Jewish people think that? What does one have to do with the other? Granted, it was terrible news to hear that we're not going into Eretz Yisrael. It was so incredibly difficult to accept, we're told, that there was a group of people that tried to go anyway, and that led to their demise. So granted, we're devastated, but why would we assume, therefore, that the Torah and the mitzvot that were given to us are no longer applicable? So there happens to be an interesting fairly well-known piece in the Ramban where the Ramban says that really when HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave the Torah and he instructed Kalal Yisrael in the performance of mitzvos, mitzvos were made to be performed in Eretz Yisrael. Jewish life was created to be experienced in, in Eretz Yisrael. Anything we do, any mitzvah, any, any tova that we do here, the Ramban seems to say it's merely practice. The example he gives is if there's a dispute between husband and wife and the wife goes back to her, her father's house um, not knowing whether or not she'll be reunited with her husband, so her father gives her the suggestion, the Eitzah, even though your husband's not around, make sure to continue dressing and, and acting like a married woman. Because in Mirza Shem, when you get back together, you don't want to be out of practice. So says the Ramban, when the Jewish people are not in Eretz Yisrael, we continue doing mitzvos because we need the practice to make sure that once we get back into Eretz Yisrael, uh, we're going to be familiar with it. So it could be based on this logic, based on this rationale. Slavchad was afraid that the Jewish people would think, now that we're not going into Eretz Yisrael, there's no need for practice. Practice is before the big game. The big game has been canceled. So what's the point of mitzvos? To combat that false perception Slavchad basically took his own life. If he was so incredibly righteous and he had these noble intentions, was it the right thing to do? Why are they killing him? Why is Yichayiv Misa 
if his only motivation is for the, the Kedusha and the Tahara of the Jewish people? Give the guy a break. Okay, it's true, he broke Shabbos. He did so willingly. But he was doing so in order to save Klal Yisrael. So clearly the idea here is that even though he had noble intentions, even though he meant well, there are certain things we're allowed to do, and there are certain things we're not allowed to do. I'll give you an example of just the conversation that I've been involved with recently. I'm speaking to many different people who have been heavily engaged in the Aguna crisis. Mr. Shem, we're going to have a lady share on this subject in a week or two from now. And there's a lot of, a lot of very positive changes happening in the Jewish world, a lot of awareness that really has been lacking for a long time, where you have women who are waiting to receive a get from their husband, and they're agunos, they're chained. They're chained to a broken marriage, and they could go theoretically years and years of their life where their husband is basically abusing them by not giving the get. Sometimes, and I've heard this sentiment, if someone's clearly defined as a, as a husband who is refusing to give a get after Bastin has paskined, after it's been clear by a valid Bastin that this is what needs to happen, and he's totally ignoring that ruling. So then, the hanhaga, right, the behavior from the community has to be, we cannot allow you to be part of anything that's going on. We cannot allow you to feel that you have any right or any, any position within the shul, within social settings. If you walk into the store to get a cup of coffee and the owners are Jewish, halacha lemaisa is, you cannot let him get a cup of coffee. He wants to get an aliyah on Shabbos, he has yard side, you can't give an aliyah. There are very, very severe guidelines that we've had now for hundreds of years, going back to the Harchakas of the Rebbeinu Tam, where ultimately it makes sense. If a person is abusing his wife in this particular way, after it's been made clear by an authoritative basin that he must give a get, so it makes sense, we as a community have to do everything we possibly can to, to put pressure on him to do what ultimately he wants to do. It's easier said than done. If he happens to daven at your shul, or he happens to come to your yeshiva, to daven mincha, or your base medrash to learn a few hours a night, do you go over to him and say, I'm sorry, but until you follow through with the psaq of the base, then you're really not welcome here. Is that the right thing to do? The answer is yes, it very well may be so. But we have such an atiyah, we have such a, a tendency to be rachmonim, baishonim, vagomle, chasadim. I'm nice, I'm accepting, I'm embracing. I understand the guys, you know, doing something that's inappropriate, that it's a terrible thing, but I don't want to get involved. I, I want him to know that, that although he's doing something against the Bastin, against Das Torah, but we do believe in the redemption of humanity, and, and I want him to know he still has a friend in me. Very noble, very Jewish, 
but very wrong. There's a time and a place to be embracing and to make sure that a person knows, even if they're struggling, even if they're doing many different types of averos, I'm here for you and I want to support you. And there's a time and place where the halach and the hashkafa would mandate, I'm going to make it very clear that I have nothing to do with you. That takes gevura. Sometimes our good intentions to be the nice guy can get in the way of the call of the hour. I have also seen it go the opposite direction. And again, I'm just sharing from this world because I've, I've been in it recently. You could have people who are super passionate about the cause and they hear about a particular wife who's trying to get a get and it seems like the base then is... Uh, supporting her cause, maybe there's a seruv. And therefore, one of the, uh, the most powerful ways of influencing or encouraging someone to do anything bizman hazeh is through social media. And in this whole world of the Aguna crisis, social media has been very effective. The stories that I've been reading and speaking to people about, it's been amazing if it's done right. However, if in my zeal and in my passion and in my desire to help out someone who's chained, someone who's suffering in their marriage, I put things online, or I utilize the power of social media in a way that ultimately will not be helpful. Because I don't know intimately what's going on. I don't know what she herself, the Aguna, really wants or needs. I have not been in touch with those Rabbanim or other people who are really in the inner circle. But I believe in the mission. Sometimes your belief in the mission can destroy the mission. Sometimes they're this close to working something out, and then when he finds out that, that this particular piece of Lashon Hora has been plastered all across the world, he says, you know what, forget it. What's the point? This is one slice of life, but in everything we do, we could have noble intentions either to be the nice guy where the call of the hour is, don't be a nice guy. Let him know that his behavior is unacceptable and he's not welcomed here. And sometimes in, in, in the intoxication of the passion for a very noble and righteous cause, we might be negatively impacting the very cause we're fighting for. Rav Simcha Zisel Brody, who was the great Rosh Hashiva in the Chevron, He writes, this is source number seven, that Mikan, from this story of Slavchad and the inside of Tosvos, where his entire motivation was L'Shem Shemayim, Kisakana Nora Tamuna, Bechol Misha Chofetz Lasos Koviyachal Kurotzen Hashem. There is always such a danger hidden within any real desire we have to do the will of God, but we're trying to do the Ratzon Hashem in ways that have not yet been proven, that are not necessarily part of my Mesorah, part of my tradition. And I think it makes sense, and I have a, a fire within me to fight for this particular truth. But the sakana, the danger that we see from Slavchad, is that sometimes that Ratzon Hashem can bring one to his demise. 
he says, often you'll have a person where he or she, they're searching for ways of connecting with Hashem. Not according to necessarily the Mesorah that we have. And this line should be double underlined. And without the, the, the depth of the understanding of what is the Ratzon Hashem and how does it apply in this particular situation. And even though you're doing so with sincerity, and he writes, and this is a very important factor, you will receive reward for your noble intentions. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't withhold schar from any maizatov. Ultimately, you might be doing the wrong thing. And in the case of Slavchat, he was punished for doing the wrong thing. But it doesn't mean that he's not still getting reward for that noble desire he had. But the goal of life and the goal of Avodah Hashem is not to have the noble desire alone. It's to know what the Ratzon Hashem actually is. I think this background gives us somewhat of a deeper insight into the very beginning of the Parsha. There's very little of the story that we're told here in the beginning of Parsha Shalach as to what was the conversation between the Jewish people and Moshe Rabbeinu before sending in the Miraglim. But we know in Parsha's Devarim, where Moshe is recapping the history of the Jewish people, there we have uh, much more elaboration and some of the details that explains what Kalal Yisrael were trying to accomplish and whether or not Moshe thought it was a good idea. Pasuk says, Moshe is reminding all the Jewish people, that all of you gathered around me before we entered or were about to enter into Eretz Yisrael, and you said, let us send men before us, righteous people to go and explore and search throughout the land. Moshe says, I liked the idea. In my eyes, it made a lot of sense. So it's interesting, we're really injecting into the story of the Miraglim that when Moshe hears about the plan, not only was he okay with it, Shlach Lecha, where Hashem basically gave permission. Hashem never said this is the great thing. But Moshe is telling us that when he heard about the plan for the first time, I liked it. Now, Rashi over there explains what was that scene when the people came close to Moshe and they were asking, let's send spies into the land. Moshe Rabbeinu uses one word, kulchem, you all gathered around me. Rashi says, He was indicating that it wasn't misudar, it wasn't in an orderly fashion. It was all, everyone jumping on each other, pushing and shoving. In contrast to a very similar phrase, that Moshe Rabbeinu says later on, referring to the experience at Har Sinai, where Claudius will come to Moshe and say, 
this is way too intense. Is there any way for you to just get the instructions from Hashem and then convey it to us? But us hearing directly from God, that was way too intense. There, in Parshish Veschanan, Moshe Rabbeinu says, V'tikravun elai, not kulchem, not all of you, but rather, kol roshe shivteichem v'zigneichem. All of the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you came to me and you said, Rebbe, this is way too intense. So Rashi explains the difference between when the Jewish people came to Moshe asking to send Miraglim, in contrast to when we came to Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai. Also, Kreva Haisa Hogenis. At Har Sinai, it was beautiful, it was organized. Yeladim mechabdim mezazekenim. Children were giving honor and respect to their elders, and they allowed the older people to go in front, and the older people of the community gave respect to the heads of the Shvatim. That's what took place at Har Sinai. A Vulkan, but here, Vitikruvun Elai Kulchem, you all gathered around me. Here the implication is Be'erbuvia. There was no order. There was no respect for each other. You were pushing, you were shoving. Yeladim dochvim meshazakenim. The children were pushing away the adults. It was mamish like being at Kiddush. That's what it felt like. Everyone's pushing and shoving. The kids got to get to the children first. Uzakenim dochvim meshazakenim. And the elders were not giving the proper respect to the heads of the shvatim. So it's a strange thing. On one hand, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling Kalal Yisrael, you all came charging at me, pushing and shoving each other. Yet in the very next Pasuk, But in my eyes, I thought it was a wonderful idea. Didn't you pick up on the fact, Moshe Rabbeinu, didn't you pick up on the fact that they're clobbering each other? Something is off over here. Something is, is, is not right. Orachaim says, Be'enai, it was nice, it was a good idea in my eyes, means that Anisha'enai Bosserli, me as a human being, I thought it was a, a wonderful plan. But in the mind of Hashem, so to speak, HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew otherwise. How can Moshe Rabbeinu miss it? If they're pushing and they're shoving, obviously something is not right over here. What was good in his eyes? So Rabbi Simcha Zizel Brody, again, he explains, he says, Moshe was able to see the chuka, the desire that Klal Yisrael had. When they came running over to Moshe initially, asking him, let's send people into the land before we go, that wasn't based on a lack of amunah and a lack of bitachon. The real issue with the Miraglim is, once they came back and they shared the negative report with Klal Yisrael, our response to that report, that was the Makkah That changed history forever. But at this point in time, the way they approached Moshe was inappropriate. No matter what, you can't be pushing and shoving each other. 
Stand in line like a mensch. Let the older people go first. Get off of your seat to allow them to sit down. And that was out of place. But, says Reb Simcha Zixel Brody, it was coming from this fire, this hislavus, this energy to want to go into Eretz Yisrael and to go through the motions, to go through the hishtadlis of how to get in there. Sofo Shahavosam Kilkal Es Hashura explains the Rosh Hashivah of Hebron. They might have had that kernel of, of a real holy fire, just wanting to get into Eretz Yisrael and thinking this was the best way to do it. But what they actually did, the way they approached Moshe, it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. So again, we have both at the end of the Parsha with the story of the Mekoshesh and we have at the beginning of the Parsha with Klal Yisrael approaching Moshe, the same issue. Deep down, there was always a desire for good. There was this, this, this chuka, this ava. But it's not just the good intentions or how we feel about something. It's are we executing it in the right way? Are we acting like a mensch in the process? I remember hearing from one of my Rebbeim, the Mordechai Trapper, Zechret Tzadik, Levracha. He told us a story that in Slobodka, one of the Mashkichim, he was walking down the streets in Slobodka somewhere. This is the times of the Haskalah where you had Jewish organizations trying to, uh, to put down classic religious Judaism and sharing all sorts of terrible things about yeshiva life and, and the Torah hashkafa. So the mashkiach is walking with a few of his talmidim, and they encounter this big sign in the public. And the sign from the beginning to the end is bashing religious Jews and speaking in a disgusting way against Lomde Torah, against people who devote their lives to learning. They're leeching off of society. They do nothing for others. They're primitive, they're barbaric, they're uncivilized, and on and on and on. So the Talmudim were interested to see how would he react. So he's standing there and he's reading the sign carefully. After a few minutes, he says, it's written very well. Then he takes it, rips it off the wall, and throws it in the garbage. It's written very well. Sarvei Trapper would derive from this story a hashkafa that I think was very much part and parcel of the, the whole worldview of Slobodka. But it's a very important hashkafa. It could be something is not okay. It could be it's more than not okay. It's repulsive. It's nauseating. It's disgusting. How could this be in public? But at the same time, to have the ability to be mavchin, to discern if there's anything positive or beautiful here, I don't have to be blind to that beauty. I could appreciate the fact that it was written well, 
and the word choice and the sentence structure. Okay, very professional. And then you rip it and throw it in the garbage. So I think this is a very important uh, factor when understanding both motivation and what we actually do. We can never dismiss an action based on the fact that I did something wrong or I said something in an inappropriate way. If I know in myself I meant well, it doesn't mean, therefore, it was worthless. Good intentions do count for something. Like Reb Simcha Brody told us, Slavcha did receive reward for his desire to help the Jewish people. He did the wrong thing. How do you analyze that? Was it Ra or was it Tov? The answer is, it was Ra. It was worthy of, of a Chiv Misa. But I could still appreciate the Tov that was within the Ra. That's true when we think about ourselves. And that's definitely true when we analyze other people. Everyone makes mistakes. And the goal is to have both noble, holy, beautiful intentions and to hopefully understand the Das Torah and the proper way of approaching any given situation. But it's not all or nothing. I want to end with, it's a video that somebody showed me recently. They sent it to me. I don't have YouTube on my phone, so I couldn't see it. But I was able to forward it to a friend. And the video basically was, I don't want to get into exactly what it was, no need to put down something that you might be familiar with. But basically the video was with the from person who was doing something shaloka halacha. It was not okay according to any halachic authority. And the question the person posed to me when they sent it initially was, is this a Chilul Hashem or a Kiddush Hashem? Why would it be a Kiddush Hashem? So the goal of what this person was doing was trying to promote love and, and peace and brotherhood. That's a beautiful thing. So I, I looked at the video. It was a few minutes. And ultimately, I think the answer was, it was the wrong thing to do. There's never an excuse for violating halacha. There's never an excuse. And maybe people will be viewing you from an outside perspective as you're, you're helping the cause of humanity and brotherhood and, and peace, but there's never an excuse to break halacha. If you want to know, was it a chilul Hashem, was it a kiddush Hashem, the answer is, it was a chilul Hashem. Does that mean, though, that I'm blind to the, 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 the positive aspect of what was contained in the video. If you have people embracing and sharing a moment of, of humanity, of brotherhood, that is something that's beautiful. Noble intentions. It's a wrong thing to do. The goal of Yadus, the goal of our Vodas Hashem, is to not just have the noble intentions, not just to have the fire and the passion or the Rachmanus and the Chesed, but to make sure we're doing everything we possibly can that what I'm actually doing, the, the, the fruition of that feeling, is alpidas Torah, is based on the guidelines, the structure, the hadracha of das Torah. When we have both together, that's the ultimate Kiddush Hashem. Shkoyach.